Well, welcome back to the Free Kit Martin Podcast. My name is Crystal McKenzie, and today I'm with Stacy Stone. Of course, Stacy used to be married to Kit, had three children together. Those are all beautiful adults now. Also, we have Emilio Corsetti today. Emilio wrote the book, I Will Ruin You, The Twisted Truth Behind the Kit Martin Murder Trial, which is due out March 26th. And we appreciate you being here today, Emilio. Christian Kit Martin is a household name, and he's a military hero, now serving life sentence for a triple homicide he did not commit. His three neighbors across the street, that's who he's accused of killing. However, he has three people as alibis. Laura, his fiance at the time, and her two children who were at home with him during the time of the murders. Christian Kit Martin happened to be in the middle of a divorce where his ex, Joan Harmon, vowed to ruin his military career and him, for that matter, but was protected all the way through this trial and never once had to step foot inside the courtroom and never had to even plead the fifth in front of the jury. This conversation continues on all major social media platforms, by the way. The Free Kit Martin Podcast. And I know Stacy and I are both thrilled to have you back. Emilio Corsetti, who wrote I Will Ruin You, the twisted truth behind the Kit Martin murder trial, which is due out on March 26th. And you will notice on all of our social media, we're starting to really put this out there because I think it's really going to simplify the story, don't you, Stacey? I really do. I mean, Emilio has done so much research and spent so much time, and we really appreciate it. Yeah. It's just very interesting because once he does the research, it's actually a lot more simple than, you know, than we've made it. Right. Know? Absolutely. It seemed to be and, so... And I, I do appreciate the shout-outs for the, for the book. Oh, I are you kidding? It. You deserve that. And uh, But you know what Emilio did, and Stacy's saying it here, basically he took all of just the evidence in the trial and then made up his mind as to whether or not Kit Martin had anything to do with this. And what's your answer to that, Emilio? I haven't seen any evidence that points to his guilt. In fact, there's more evidence that points away from his guilt and towards another individual. Yeah. Hey, Emilio, one of the things that I would love to talk to you about today is Stacy and I have gone over this on the phone, our own alternative theories as to what we thought happened. And I thought that was the more, wow, that was a really poignant moment in the book for me. Can we go over your alternate theory today? Sure. Okay, so I'll start by saying that I'm just going to use the evidence. It's the same evidence that the investigators had and coming up with their theory. So we know that there was a a washing machine that was scheduled to be delivered between 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. And we know that around 10.40 a.m. that Pam Phillips received a call from the delivery driver saying that they were in the driveway and nobody was answering the phone at the residence and that they're going to have to reschedule the delivery because there's no one there. Okay. So that's around 10.40 a.m. So it, there's only two, two possibilities. One, Calvin Phillips was already dead before that time. Or the second possibility is that he was being held at gunpoint, right? I mean, it's fairly implausible, but you have to consider that. So my theory of the crime, first of all, Calvin Phillips was shot five times uh, with a 45 caliber gun, using a bullet that's designed to break apart once it enters the body, causing internal damage. Two of those bullets exited the body, 
one through the neck and one through the right clavicle. And nowhere during the trial or after the murders has the investigators or the prosecution said where this murder took place, right? The closest they can come to is there was blood on the back porch, but the amount of blood that was found on the back porch doesn't um, coincide with five shots from a 45 caliber gun, right? So the other thing that you have is when Calvin's body was recovered, he was wearing a rain poncho. Not only was he wearing a, a rain poncho, but he had the hood of the poncho over his head and cinched tight. So the so the poncho's around the face, right? He's got it tied around right, the face. Right. So can you think of a single scenario where you'd be walking around your house with a rain poncho cinched around your head? Absolutely not. The only the only scenario would be that somebody pulled into the driveway around close to that 10 a.m. time and Calvin was getting prepared to go out there and help them remove this washing machine from the truck, right? And we know it was raining at that time when they, when they, the delivery driver showed up because neighbor Billy Watkins, he stepped out on his porch and he saw the delivery truck driver and it was raining, it was pouring rain during the time that the delivery truck driver backed into Calvin Phillips's driveway. So my theory is that somebody pulled into the driveway close to that 10 a.m. time when Calvin was expecting the, the delivery truck. Now, he either saw that there was a vehicle in the driveway or he just stepped outside through the, maybe through the front porch because the door was open um, and then saw that it wasn't the delivery truck driver. Now, the person in the vehicle, all right, they certainly wasn't expecting Calvin Phillips to come out in the pouring rain and approach the vehicle, right? So obviously they would have been surprised by the fact that here comes Calvin Phillips, all right? So at that point, what I believe happened was that person had ill intent to begin with, and now here's an opportunity to execute this plan that they had, because here he is walking right towards my vehicle. And as he approached the driver's side of the car, the person in that vehicle rolled down the window and fired at least three shots, all right? How do you know that? Okay, here's, well, we know two, two of the shots exited the body, all right? We know that. But the, but the bullet bases were never found, all right? Oh. Okay, so one went through the neck and the other one went through the right clavicle. So there were at least two shots fired outside. Here's the other thing that we know, and this wasn't covered in the trial, was that the trajectory of the bullets was in a downward trajectory, all right? So let's envision that you're sitting in a car, just a regular vehicle, all right? And Calvin Phillips is approaching your car, all right? You roll down the window and you fire a shot. Now here's what I, what I saw, I think, happened. We know from the evidence in the autopsy that there were three entrance wounds of what's called trogue cars. All right, the troll cars are the pedals at the tip of the bullet that are designed to break apart once it enters the body, all right? Now, they asked us at the trial, but they never got clarification. The only way that you can have entrance wounds from a troll car is if the bullet hit something before it entered the body. Okay. Right? Oh. 
they're supposed to, the, the, the patrol cars aren't going to just break off until it hits something. If it enters the body, it's designed to start, there's, I think there were eight pedals plus the bullet base, so there's nine wounds, but the, the, the patrol cars are designed, once it enters the body, those patrol cars separate and they just go in and they rip the body apart. Oh my. And, and all right? So, but there were three entrance wounds of these troll cars. So you can envision that Calvin Phillips is walking towards the car. The person in that car rolls down the windows and they fire a shot that hits him in the chest, all right? That same shot either hit a half rolled down window, it hit the door frame. A mirror? The mirror. All right, so it's separated. Those troll cars separated. And the rest of it went into his body, along with those separated troll cars, all right? At that point, um, Calvin Phillips drops to the ground, all right? So the first shot would have been the one in the chest, but it wasn't a, a lethal shot, but it dropped him to, a, to the ground. And then the other two shots would have been through the neck and the right clavicle, and those bullet bases exited the body and were never recovered. All right, so tell me, were those bullets the RIP rounds? Yes. Okay, I wanted to see if all of the bullets that hit him were all five of them were all, five of them. Were all RIP were five rounds. G two research bullet is that what G two research RIP rounds? RIP is in rest in peace. They were designed to kill. All right. I didn't realize all five bullets. Wow. Yeah, wow. so there was five bullets. So I'm thinking that there were three shots fired. The first one was in the chest. And the other two is he fell to the ground, one through the neck, one through the right clavicle, and they exited in the downward trajectory. Now, I, I tried to, to, I wanted to interview the, the, uh, the examiner who did the autopsy, but he wouldn't talk to me. Mm. Because, you know, those, those truck cars, are, are designed to separate and then and then go through the body and tear internal organs apart. So my question was, the downward trajectory of the exit wound, the entrance wound and the exit wounds, was it was it caused because that was the trajectory of the of the bullet, or was it caused because the the tow cars are you know broke off and went in different directions? I can't answer that. All right, I, I'm not a medical examiner. I, I don't know the answer to that. I assume that the bullet bases exited in the downward trajectory, and that those were, that's the trajectory that it, it went in, okay? My goodness. So now Calvin Phillips is lying in the driveway. The person responsible backs out of the driveway and hightails it out of there. Calvin Phillips is laying in the driveway, and he's still alive. At some point later in the afternoon, this person who shot Calvin Phillips drives by. They see that if somebody was driving by and was looking in that direction, they could possibly see that there was a body in the, in the driveway. Absolutely. It's also possible that they drove by and they noticed that Calvin was no longer in the spot where he fell. Oh. Remember, he's, he's still alive. So Stacy brought this question up and she's not the only one who brought this up is that if Calvin Phillips was lying in the driveway, how come the delivery truck drivers didn't see him when they backed into the driveway? Okay, right. that's a valid question. But 
if you look at the the driveway between the houses, so Ed Danzaro and Calvin Phillips shared a driveway. Mm -hmm. And at the end, as, as you approach, as you go down the driveway, it splits into a Y with one branch of the Y going to Ed's house and one branch of the Y going to Calvin's house, all right? So the delivery truck driver, he he's backing into the driveway. He's got a box truck, all right? He's focused on the narrow driveway and backing into it during a pouring heavy downpour. Right. Okay? So if, if, the, if the perpetrator had pulled up closer to the house, almost to the back porch, and shot Calvin Phillips, um, it, it's very possible that he could have been lying there and they just didn't see it because they weren't focused on that particular area. Okay. Is it possible because he was still living that he actually maybe was strong enough to crawl into the back porch and wasn't in the driveway anymore? I personally think that he was he was just lying there uh, up closer to the house, yeah. not where the where the delivery truck driver would have been. Right. The other thing the other thing that supports this theory is the fact that there he was shot five times with a 45 caliber gun that's designed to rip the body apart. But there was no blood evidence. What happened to the blood evidence? All right. The blood evidence was washed away in the rain. Okay. So that's that's why there was no blood uh, found at the scene. My and his, his clothes, obviously, he was clothed. So his, his clothes soaked up a lot of the blood. All right. Oh, so how do we know? Why? Do, how would we know that Calvin was still alive at this point? And the, the reason you would know that he was still alive is because as you get progress through the crime, um, the the autopsy showed that injuries that occurred later occurred perimortem, meaning before death. Oh, this individual or individuals who are responsible for doing this, decide that they're going to come back to the scene. So what they do is they park the car in the old school, school parking lot, and they walk to the crime scene. They go onto the back porch. By this time, there's there's two people. There's at least two people, right? They go back to the, to the crime scene. They go to the back porch, and they get the, the blue tarp. They take the blue tarp, and they roll Callan's body into the blue tarp, and then they transport the body to the back porch. And once they're on the back porch, they open up the cellar door. Now, you have to remember, on the back porch is a German shepherd named Jerry Lee, and his dog bed is sitting on top of the cellar door. Mm -hmm. All right, so somebody, whoever is responsible, had to, one, be familiar enough with the dog that they felt comfortable about going onto the back porch, okay? Because the police, when they got there and they saw the German Shepherd, they called the animal rescue to come get the German Shepherd before they would even enter the house, right? It is a German Shepherd. Okay, so yeah, and, and number two is the dog bed was over, the, the, the back porch was completely cluttered with all kinds of paint cans and, and building materials and, junk and the only place where that dog bed was on top of the cellar door so only somebody who was familiar with that house would even know that that cellar door was underneath that dog bed oh right? my so that also maybe somebody to... who had lived there yeah 
lived there temporarily is what Stacy yes. is referring to. Yes, indeed. Yes. Right. Okay, so so now they open up the, t- the cellar door and they they take the brute's harp with Calvin's body in it. He's still alive. And they they dump him head first down the stairs. All right. Now the stairs leading to the the cellar door uh, are very steep. It's a very steep cellar door, uh, it's a staircase. And the reason I believe that's what happened is two reasons. One, if you look at the evidence photos, and I'd have to go through them, one of the stairs is cracked. It's broken. I saw a picture. I, it's broken. And in, in, in the area where it's broken, there was also blood. All right. Yeah. And then on top, and then there's two other things. One, Calvin Phillips had facial trauma to the lower half of his face. All right. And the investigators tried to say that, well, it could have happened from the butt of a gun, that it, it, it could have it pointed towards Kit because it showed somebody who had rage and, and you know, was, was beating him. Well, none of that stands up because one, Calvin Phillips, they had no defensive wounds on his hands, right? They had pictures of, of, of Kit taken days after. He had no wounds on his hands. Nothing to indicate that there was a, a fight of any kind, all right? And then on top of that, Five months or six months after the murders, they went back to the scene and they found a tooth at the bottom of the cellar stairs. I didn't realize that was so many months later. Wow. So they didn't find that until... What did these 32 people investigate? Yeah, we got that on our tip line, by the way. 32 law enforcement officers missed all that evidence. Wow. So everything points to the fact that he was dumped down the stairs um, face first. His face hit the stairs, broke the stairs, left blood, broke a tooth off, and it fell down below him when his body landed at the bottom of the stairs. Now, um, at this point, according to the autopsy, Calvin Phillips was still alive. Obviously, falling face first down the stairs, if he was still alive, he made some kind of a sound, right? So now they're at the top of the stairs. They may fire at least two more shots. So we know, it, besides the tooth that was found, they found the trocar. So that points to the fact that Alan made some kind of audible sound or gave some indication that he was still alive. And then from the top of the stairs, they fired two more times. Mm. All right. So now they there were five bullet wounds in, into Calvin Phillips, and he is deceased. And we're talking now, it's sometime in the afternoon, maybe 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. They're still in the house and they're starting to stage the scene. They go upstairs and they lay out the subpoenas. They find the subpoenas and they lay them out for the police to find. So they're in there and, and, they're, and they're laying out the subpoenas and they're also doing one other thing. They have a dog tag with Kit's name on it. And these aren't the brightest criminals in the world. Right? No. But in their mind, they're thinking, well, hey, if we have this dog tag with Kit's name on it, um, that's certainly going to uh, point in the direction of Kit. And I, so we're going we're gonna to leave this for the police to find. So, but they're not the brightest criminals, so instead of leaving it on the floor where they would find it, they take Calvin's wallet, which was laying out on the table, and they put it on a bookshelf along with the wallet 
in Calvin's phone, thinking that, that the police would obviously find it because his wallet and his phone is there and the, the dog tag is located right next to the, to the uh, phone. Did they test that wallet for fingerprints? Uh, probably not. <laughs> I'm assuming not. What a mess. Okay, so now, so now it's, getting, it's getting a little bit later, four o'clock, and I, I've come to the conclusion um, that Pam was a target. And that, and that they weren't just randomly caught by surprise. I think Pam was uh, a target and they were waiting for her to come home. That's what I think. And she and did come home early that day? She get, Didn't she come home early? She came home early that day. And there's a couple of things pointing towards Pam being a target. Um, number one is that there are reports that uh, several days, several evenings before the murders, um, a maintenance crew, a cleaning crew at the bank had saw a mysterious looking van circling the bank. All right. So somebody was trying to keep track of what Pam's schedule was at the bank. All right. So that's one indication. The second indication is um, the obsession that Joan had with getting into that phone. All right. And then the third thing is, is the call from William Stokes to the police where he said someone is going to kill a witness because she is a witness in a case against her husband who lives across the street oh that's where you came up with that could be pam exactly i have the hardest time dissecting that comment and i don't know why i guess i need to write it down can you say that again say it again that 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 quote from William, we're we're really like we were trying to figure out what that means. Well, the problem is, so yeah. Doug Moore, he has this this transcript of a call from William Stokes, and he reads it. And the, the I'm, I'm doing it from memory; I don't have it in front of me, but it was yeah. to the effect of, "Someone is going to kill a witness." because she is a witness in a case against her husband who lives across the street, all right? So instead of digging deeper into that very mysterious and alarming call, Doug Moore lost his place. He did. And he was shuffling through some papers and he completely glossed over following up on that. That happened a lot during this trial. It was so very and, frustrating. And most people, uh, watching the trial probably don't even remember because it was on, it only took place uh, it was you know 15 seconds and it was gone and it was over and into the atmosphere and you know. right so till we anyways, bring till we bring it back in TikTok form of course right so hey Emilio could they have been watching the bank to get her scheduled just so they'd know how much time they had to kill Cal and get out of there. Well, that's possible, it but possible. it's more likely that they were just trying to track her, her movements, her schedule. And another thing pointing to Pam as a target is the fact that uh, in one of the uh, subpoenas, the attorneys mentioned that Pam was also a potential witness in the court martial. Oh. But either way, so Pam comes comes back, they're waiting for her, and, they, and the second person, most likely, who was along with them, shot Pam with the 22. Right, and it wasn't a military precision, uh, even though there was a shot to the temple and, and Pam, uh, in a shot, uh, I believe, in the heart. Yeah, there was a shot in the, in the heart, 
My goodness. But if it was military precision, you wouldn't need five shots. <laughs> you know, you, you don't need a shot to the head and a shot to the heart and, and a shot to the bodies. And, um, so whatever happened, Ed Danzero, who's in his kitchen getting ready to make dinner, looking out his window, which has a direct line of sight to the back porch and to Pam's house, saw something, heard something that alarmed him enough that he went and grabbed his ancient North World War II pistol, took it out of the holster, threw the holster on the chair, dashed out the door, grabbing his phone. He had his phone and his pistol with him. As he rounded the wooden privacy fence, he was shot. We know that because his um, the phone was located right around where the privacy fence ended, and there was blood also. And then, but that shot didn't kill him because he, he moved 60 yards further into the backyard where he was shot again. And we know that because um, the gun was found there as well as additional blood. So there was no military precision because he was shot multiple times and he moved at different locations, right? 60 yards from where the initial shot took place. Unbelievable. So it's what? not a military precision type killing. It's a it's a chaotic multiple shot scene. Yes, which, it is. Which begs the question: How can you have five or more shots going ringing out and nobody hear it? Absolutely. No, no neighbors. Absolutely. And those forty five. Okay, so those forty five shots on Cal too. I mean, my goodness. Well, there were multiple shots. I mean, yeah. remember the bodies were were um, completely. Uh, decimated from the fire. Yeah. So well, that's definitely not military precision because in the military we do one shot, one kill. I mean that's the that's the motto. So now um, they come to the conclusion that they're going to burn the evidence, and so uh, it takes two people and they load uh, Ed Danzero into the back of the car, and they he's laying on the back, the whole back side of the of the floor of the car. And then they drag Pam. They first, she's in the kitchen, and they drag her by her hair um, to the back porch, and a big clump of hair comes out. And then they drag her through the, the porch where they lift her and they carry her. And remember that the car had been facing, Pam's car was facing the, the house when um, Marlene LaRock came in the afternoon. Then when she came back later in the afternoon, it was backed into the house. Oh, so the oh, car's yeah. backed up to the porch, and then they, they load Pam into the driver's seat, right? So one person gets in, well, okay, so now w when does this happen? We know that at 11.43, um, Kate is showing his security video, um, going out to attend the dogs. Why is he doing that? Well, the defense missed a, a great opportunity to tell a story that they, they completely missed. But the, the reason he was going out there was because the dogs were barking. Yeah. The dogs were in the side yard. The dogs had a direct line of sight to Calvin Phillips' driveway in the back of their house. Right. So either the dogs were barking because they saw commotion or the dogs were barking because they recognized the people across the street. Yeah. Or both. Or both. Right. So at 11.43, Kit gets um, out, he gets dressed up, he goes outside, and he takes the dogs from the side yard and puts them in the backyard. 
hopefully getting them away from whatever that's causing them to start to bark. So now it's midnight. So sometime between midnight and 1.30 a.m., they leave, one person drives Pam's car with two bodies in it. And the second person goes over to Ed Dandro's house. The keys might've been in the car because his wallet was in the car. So he may have left the keys in the car. And then the second person takes the Ed Dandro's car and they, they head down Main Street onto Rosetown Road. Now they're looking to get rid of the bodies. They, they turn down the dirt road. One gets stuck in, this, in the mud. They use the light from the second car. And if you, if you look at that picture and you look at the tracks, you can see that the, the tracks of the second car point in a direction where its headlights would have been shining right on where the car got stuck in the mud. Yeah. All right. So they use the lights from the second car to spread kerosene over the, the bodies and the inside of the car and the outside of the car, set them on fire, they hightail it out, out there. And then they drive, they drive back to the old school parking lot where their cars are parked or a car or vehicle. They leave Ed's car there with the keys and the wallet in there. And then they take their car and that road that, that they right next to the school parking lot leaves uh, out of town. Incredible. Incredible. Have you matched it up with Pam's phone and knowing where they went right after that? Okay, so if, if you look at the, the evidence from the phone, we know that the Pam's phone started pinging in the Pembroke area because you can't pinpoint the exact location. You can only pin, you can only say which cell towers it was pinging off, off of. So right? what cell towers were they? Well, I don't remember. There was three of them. There was one north of Pembroke. There was one south. That phone went to Elkton. Then it went to Russellville. Then it came back to Elkton. The, oh, and at midnight, didn't it come back to Pembroke again? Yeah. No, so, so the, the murders were on the 18th, and on the 19th, Pam's phone was pinging in the Pembroke area at around 8:04, 8:05 a.m. So I think there were a couple pings. So first of all, you, you got to say, well, how could a phone, if somebody's deceased, why would their phone be active? Well, what happened was. She didn't show up for work. So yeah. the, the, uh, the work called her, they texted her, right? They couldn't get a hold of her. And okay. we all know that Joan had so the phone. being Pembroke at eight o'clock in the morning, besides the fact they were probably driving back up and down Rosetown Road to see if anybody discovered the vehicle, right? Yeah. But another possibility is if they were dropping somebody off at work, they had to be at work at eight o'clock, like possibly at the Dollar General. Oh, right across the street. Dear. Right across the street from where the, the car was found. We're going right? to have to pick this up next time. Emilio Corsetti. We cannot wait to read that book. Oh, I'm so excited. It's March 26, hitting the shelves all over the world. And um, is there a way that people can uh, order their copy ahead of time? Yes, there is. Okay. Uh, you can go on Amazon right now and pre order it. Okay, great. Just That's... go to Amazon and, and type in I Will Run You The Twisted Truth of the Kit Martin Child. And you will see a pre-order link, all right? The other thing is the publisher has reduced the price to $3, $2.99, because they want to drive they want to drive interest in the book and get early reviews before the book is, is released. Oh, man, my phone all is right. open right now. I'm going. Thank okay. you. Emilio Corsetti, 
We thank you so much for everything that you've done for the cause. Thank you so much, Amelia, for everything that you've done. We really, really appreciate you. And thank you, listeners. It's called I Will Ruin You, the twisted truth behind the Kit Martin murder trial. Thanks again, Emilio. You're welcome.